Amen, amen. Yeah. Uh, good to be with you. Always good to be with you. Uh, yeah, I want to talk to you in a few moments about strengthening our private time with the Lord. And, uh, and I, what I really wish I could do is just sit with every one of them because I want to learn. I, I want to learn. I want to grow. I mean, I, I don't feel like my time with the Lord is as strong as it ought to be. But I'm, I will give you some. But before I do that, I've got a couple of things I want to share. One, one is that there, I've got these two books, which really are the ones that I feel like are impacting most people back there to give away. Or if you know somebody that you feel like really would take it and read it, particularly people of influence, but wherever they are, then take one and give them away. And the reason I'm doing that, I mean, and if, if you want to give a donation, you can give a donation to Caleb in, and put my name in it or put book fund on it because I, I don't sell them. I, I don't think I'm supposed to sell them anymore. But I'd like, to, I'd like to just give them to everybody who really will read them because I believe they're, they're books of influence. This one, of course, the primary thing of this one is the salvation of Israel that it's time for that, and, and the salvation of the nations. This one is primarily that message of wickedness and righteousness are both ripening together, that we're headed toward the most wicked generation and the most righteous generation in history. So they're back there, and uh, as long as they, they last, uh, take them. Uh, the other thing is, I also, uh, I, I've got some stuff I want to share with you before I get to the, this, because it... It's stuff that I've just learned in the last couple of three days, couple of three weeks, I would say, that has to do with the core message that I carry from these books. One of them is one of one of the stories is about the salvation of Israel, and I always I'm always looking to see what God is doing in that area. So I want to tell you a little bit about it. The other one is about the salvation that's going to the nations, and particularly the two stories I want to tell you are about what God is doing to bring Muslims to the Lord. But the first one comes because, if you know the name Sam Brenback, he is now ambassador of religious freedom under Trump. He was a senator and a governor and so forth from Kansas. And uh, I've known him for some time because he's read this book and he's called me about it and so forth. But he, uh, a man called me the other day that said, well, Brenback told me to call you. So if, if Brenback gave, gave him my number, I'm listening. And he's a Jewish man, and he was, he was not a believer in Jesus, and he thought that, the, that, that Christians just hadn't done their homework. If they really did their homework, they wouldn't be, believe all that fairy tale stuff. And, uh, but, he, but he went to a presidential prayer breakfast when Mother Teresa spoke, and there were two people that gave their testimony. One of them was the politician in the world that he most admired. And when he got through, this politician said, but the most important person in my life is Jesus. And he thought, I thought he was smart. <laughs> and, and then the other one was the, was the primary cellist in the world. And he did the same thing. And the guy thought, I'm going to read that book. So he starts at Genesis, and when he gets to the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, you know what? He's the Messiah. So now he's a strong believer. He married a woman who's not, a, who's not Jewish. All of his relatives are Hasidics. I mean, that means the, the black hat, black curls down the side people in Israel. And his great-granddad was a friend of Theodor Herzl. So he took his to-be bride to introduce her to the Hasidic people there. And when they got through, she, they said, well, she's a Ruth. And uh, so they accepted her. But then seven years later, he went back and was talking with one of his uncles, again Hasidic. And his uncle said, uh, but... But John, you've been married seven years. 
She, why, has she, why hasn't she converted to Judaism? And John thought, okay, it's time for me to tell him. And so he says, he starts thinking and he says, well, you know, we're, we all believe in the Messiah. And he said, uh, she and I believe that uh, he already came once. And his uncle closes his eyes and starts davening and says, after he davens for a while, he finally looks up and he says, maybe so. <laughs> so now, <laughs> so now this guy, John Desser, I texted him again last night, has introduced me to this guy. He's a, he's a Hasidic rabbi. Uh, not a rabbi, but he's a lawyer, but he's a teacher. And his name is Ariel Cohen Aloro. You can look him up. And anyway, the long and short of it is that this man is a lawyer, and he's one of people that growing in Israel who believe that Jesus didn't get a fair trial, that his trial was illegal. It was done at night, and it was done just before a holiday. And his rabbi and others believe there should be a retrial, and this guy wants to be his defense attorney. <laughs> and, and my friend John said to him, well, do you believe that he's the Messiah? He said, I can't answer that until after the trial. <laughs> but in other words, he really still believes it. And he, he thinks it'll be a hung jury which means that it will go out to the Jewish people that they can choose and it will no longer be anathema for a Jewish person to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So anyway, that's one thing. Now, <laughs> another thing is, this is, this I got from the CBN correspondent in Jerusalem. And, and he says, it may surprise you that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And yet, it, that's the assessment of those who've seen and heard the remarkable story of millions turning away from Shiite Islam and turning to Jesus. The image Iran presents to their world is large demonstrations with shouts of death to America and death to Israel. But those who are inside Iran give a different story. One of the church workers says, you can't believe those images. All the protests in the street are contrived. There are young people in the streets, they've told us that if we don't go to the streets, we won't get our grades. We're forced to go protest. More people have come to the Lord in Iran in the, last, in the last few years, 40 years, than in the 1,400 years prior to that. It's the fastest growing church, he believes, has no buildings, has no 501c3s, owns no property, has no bank accounts, has no centralized leadership, and has no denominational leading, leaning, and yet it's growing like crazy. When Muslims from Iran come in contact from the man of Nazareth, something beautiful happens. And when they realize that they've been bought and saved and purchased with Jewish blood, prophesied by Jewish prophets in a Jewish Bible, something crazy happens. <laughs> now, okay, one more, and then I'll get to the subject. <laughs> There's a book by Tom Doyle called Dreams and Visions. I just found out it about two weeks ago. I got it on my Kindle and read it within two or three days. I want to tell you one story. Hassan was a, was a believer in Cairo, and he had, studied, he had studied everything he could, went to the, uh, to the Muslim university, everything, in order to try to bring people to Jesus. 
And he had been working for years and had never had one single convert. But one night, or one early morning, about two hours before sunrise, there was a gun at his head. He woke up with a gun at his head and a masked man saying, come with me. He took him through the streets of Cairo and he thought, okay. And on his way over, I'll make it short, but on his way over, he said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Okay, I, I guess this is my execution. And the man kept prodding. The man heard him but didn't respond. He took him up on top of the building across the roof and said, you're going to have to jump from this building to that one. He said, I can't do that. He said, yes, you can. Get a running start. He thought, oh, well, okay, I'll die one way or the other. And, but he made it. The man was right behind him. Then he took him over, took him down into a chute into a room. And all of a sudden he looked around and there were 10 men in that room. And he looked astonished and they started smiling at him. And his kidnapper said, I'm so sorry to have done it this way, but the only we knew this is the only way to get you here without endangering your life. They are, we are imam, imams, and we've had dreams and visions about Jesus. And we know that you're a follower of him, and we want you to teach us the Bible. <laughs> Ten imams in Cairo. So anyway, just wanted you to know about that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. This whole thing, uh, the way I want to start this is with two passages of Scripture that I weirdly had not connected till about a month ago. This is really, I almost hate, no I don't, I almost hate to admit that because I've been reading the Bible so many years and I used to hear people talking about throne room prayer. I think, Jerry, you were one of them. And, and, uh, and, and I, of course, I thought, well, that's cool. But I mean, it didn't really dig into me like it did about a month ago when I connected two passages of Scripture. So I want to start with those. The first one is in Matthew, the 27th chapter, verses 50 and 51. And when Jesus had cried out again with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. All right. That curtain, you know what that curtain was? That curtain separated the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the holy place where all the priests could go. Can you, and that curtain was 28 cubits high. That's 42 feet. That's high. And the curtain was torn from top to bottom. I can only imagine that there might have been some priests in the holy place that totally freaked out. Because all of a sudden they can see the covenant and they may think they're going to die. But... They didn't, but, but God is making a proclamation. He is making a proclamation that now every single priest, and we're all priests, can go into the most holy place where the high priest could only go once a year. Now, you want me to prove it? Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, now, your Bible may say the holy places, but it's still the same thing. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is through his body, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. So the whole, so the, so the foundational thing that I want us to get to start with is that you and I, how do you, how do, you do that? Now, I know I've had, you know what I, what I find is that when we start using our godly imagination prayerfully, sometimes God sneaks in there and takes us places that we didn't, we didn't godly imagine. He does it. And so I want, I want us to realize that we, that we can go into the most sacred place ever spiritually. In our spirit, we can enter the throne room. And I've done it. <laughs> and I want us to do it. I mean, get in there. I mean, and you don't die when you go in there. And, and I don't say, I've wondered if the Ark of the Covenant were discovered, would I touch it? I don't know. <laughs> but I know that God doesn't live there anymore. He lives here. So anyway, but now, how do we get into that? How are some suggestions on making our private times more, more powerful, stronger? And the first thing I'm going to say to you is, a passage of scripture that, that I've probably said to you, I mean, that, that over and over again, it's Psalm 100, verse 4. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And when I read that, I remember one time years ago when Martha and I were living over in Franklin Road. So it was, I mean, it was no telling, 50 or more years ago. And I, I was already at Belmont, and I have no idea what, but I know that there were all kinds of things. It might have to do with might have had to do with Belmont stuff. It may have had to do with financial stuff. I don't know what it was, but all I remember is that there was one night when it felt like I didn't sleep at all, and all night long I said, "Help! Help! 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 Help!" But you know what? I never got in the throne room. I never did even get in. You don't get in the throne room yelling help. You don't even get in the throne room confessing your sins. You don't even know which sins to confess to get in the throne room. You enter his gates through thanksgiving and praise. And let me tell you this, as if you didn't already know, one of the hardest times to enter his gates through thanksgiving and praise is when you're having a hard time. Because you don't feel like thanksgiving. You don't feel like praising. In fact, you can hardly think of anything to thank for, to be thankful for. Well, just go ahead and breathe. That's one thing. <laughs> you know. Or if you've got a job, be grateful for that. If you've got a family, be grateful for that. Well, maybe they're not all acting right. Well, okay, but there's still some... We enter his gates through thanksgiving and praise. And, and you know what? This totally agrees with how Jesus taught us to pray. He didn't say, here's the way you're supposed to pray. Give us what we need today, Lord. By the way, praise you, Lord. No. He said, you, you, here's how you're supposed to pray. Hallowed be your name. Well, that didn't have anything to do with me. Your kingdom come. Well, yeah, but I've got so much on my heart I want to say to you. No, no. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, come, on. come on. Go pour it out toward him. Yeah, good. Oh, by the way. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, all that happens after you've got in there. Yeah. 
Or, and this happened to me, this happened to me just yesterday, the day before. I was, I mean, because if somebody asked me how I was doing it, I'm doing okay, but a lot of people around me aren't. And I carry that. And, and it's, it weighs on me. And it was weighing on me so much that last day or two that I had to, I had to eat my words. And one of those words is, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> and again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everybody. The Lord's near. But that's, that's not the hardest one. Don't be anxious about anything. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. Well, how do you do it? You just do it. Don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just, yeah. But you start off rejoicing in you, hallelujah, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, you, yes. You know, <laughs> I was out walking the other day when the thunder and lightning was happening. And I, I mean, you know, when you're in a car and thunder and lightning is happening, I kind of, I enjoy it. I enjoy storms as long as I know everybody's okay. I mean, I, I because it's a display of God's power. But I was out walking and all of a sudden I thought, you know, when you're walking, you're not necessarily protected from the lightning strikes. And, uh, but you know what I thought? I thought, man, Lord, that'd be a pretty good way to go. <laughs> It'd be pretty quick. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's how. <laughs> so the first thing is we enter, we enter in to his presence with thanksgiving and praise. And then the, the, the second thing I've got down here is reclaim meditation. And, and how I came to this was on a flight magazine, in a flight magazine one time in the Northeast, I was reading a whole article about Zen meditation. And, and I, was, I was reading it, I thought, wait a minute. The devil doesn't counterfeit something that's not real. You don't ever, I've never seen a counterfeit $75 bill because there isn't any such thing. So if he's counterfeiting meditation, there's something here that I've missed. And so I started thinking about it. And I, I, can't, I can't read all the passages on them, but, but the, main, the main one that I immediately thought of was Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1.2. Now Psalm 1.2 reads like this. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the faith of scornful or, or, you know, or sit, in the, or sit in the seat of the scornful. But anyway, but he meditates on the law of the Lord. Meditates on the law of the Lord, or the word of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. That person that meditates on what God said, that person is like a tree planted by rivers of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. And whatever that person does prospers. 
That's already pretty good, but listen to Joshua 1, what he says. He says, then when you meditate on the law of the Lord, you will be prosperous and successful. Anybody in the room want to be prosperous? I got your, I got your way. Meditate on what he says. Would you like to be successful? Meditate on what he says. He wants to bless us. And then Psalm 77, and, and these are just a few of the passages. But in Psalm 77, verse 12 says, I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. See, the, you know why I was reading all this stuff? I, I meditate on that. that that's, that's his deeds that he's doing today. Bringing these Muslims to the Lord. This revival in Iran. That weird guy over there that wants to be Jesus' defense attorney. With all those, that's what he's doing. He's awakening people. Those are his mighty deeds. When I read the book, I'm just not reading what, what happened one time like a child. It's just not just church liturgy. This is real stuff. And anything he's done one time, he can do again. I don't read the life of Jesus just to find out what Jesus did. I find out what I'm going to look like when I get grown. Because he said that whoever believes on me will do the things I'm doing. So he's my model. I haven't done everything. One of the reasons I'm still here is because I haven't done everything he's done yet. You're supposed to, too. That's not for preachers. That's for you. You're supposed to do everything that he did. And then Psalm 119, verse 148 119, almost to the end, says, My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Now, I don't know that I... Ah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Sometimes, there was one night, oh, a month or so ago, that I had a script. All night long I had a scripture, and I didn't even know the address. I didn't even know where it was. But it was a scripture that said... Uh, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Okay, I mean, I, of all things, it would kept reoccurring in my head all night. I had to look it up the next morning to find out where it was. And it's Psalm 125, verse 3. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion that will never be shaken. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Boy, I like that one. That's a promise. As the mountains, you know that, you know the Lord surrounds you? As the mountains surround Jerusalem. This, see, you see what I'm saying? Get into this. This is good stuff. I recommend this. This is a good book. It, it's a bestseller. It's the bestseller of all bestsellers. And, and then he says, and then, I, and then I got to thinking about, you know, the, all the stuff that's happening in the Middle East. But God said that land belongs to Israel in perpetuity. Now, the, you know, the, the, the aliens can live there. They just have to recognize G, the authority that God's placed to the Jewish people. And you know, you, know what, you know what I know about that? The scepter of the wicked is not going to remain over the land allotted to the righteous. There's a whole lot more land. Because we're living in the day when God's restoring all these things. And so, and, and so on. And then, I mean, some, I mean, look, there's, surely you've got, but when you run across a promise, hang on to it. Don't let it leave you. Hang on to it. It's, this, this is good stuff.
I mean, one of the most, one of the, the easiest promise to hang on to, but it's hard to do when you're in a tough spot is Romans 8, 28. That everything, he works everything for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Everything. Everything? Everything. Are you sure? Absolutely sure. How do you know that? Well, because it says so in the book. And I'm standing on his promises. I meditate on his promises in the watches of the night. Or you know the one that grabbed me decades ago. That I'm predestined to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. And the first part of my identity statement is that I believe the word of God more than I believe my own emotions or feelings. And therefore I boldly declare that I'm becoming more like Jesus every day. I still almost choke on that. But I'm just saying what God says. So we stand on. And then, so there are all kinds of, so, so I, and now one of the ways that I would recommend, and I, and I realize I can't pour this on everybody, but, but I, I start finding a scripture, and I find a lot of them in Psalms that say what I'm feeling. And then I will download it to my hard, hard drive so that I don't have a book around. You know, like uh, Psalm 138. I'll praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I'll bow down towards your holy temple and praise your name for your love and faithfulness. For you've exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord. For the glory of the Lord is great. Stuff like that. Just downloading. Psalm 63. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul yearns for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is greater than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live and in and in your name, I'll lift up my hands. Stuff like that. I mean, just download some scripture and, and quote it to yourself. So that's another thing. Then, the next thing I have is, and it's, and it's sort of, I've sort of done the same thing, but personalize your Bible reading. I mean, you're just not reading a nice story, but anything that has been will, can happen. And so when you're reading, when you're reading the, I mean, as, as, I, as I told you before, just reading the, the Gospels. You're reading who Jesus was, but who you're supposed to look like. And so pull those, those, uh, those things into yourself. Now, and, and I was reminded of a time, one time, I was over in what, in the Caleb quarters over at Belmont, and there's one of our offices is next door, but somebody lives over on that side. And I was reading Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people, shouted to God with the voice of triumph. And the Lord said, don't just read it, do it. Okay, so I started clapping my hands. Shouting to God with voice of triumph. And so I started trying to shout. And I thought, I, I couldn't get loud because I thought the people up next door would put, take me to the nutty farm, you know, <laughs> if they just heard me shouting praise to God. But, but I, I'm going to do it. And so I finally got to a place where I, where I could do it and shouted to the top of my voice and clapped my hands right there. I, I mean, do the stuff. 
And, and uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ben told me about some of the stuff. Well, let me tell you, there was another one. I mean, I mean, this one, I didn't start, but, and it was a sad, sad day, but we were, the Tor Jerusalem Council was in, uh, in Spain, and we walked around the corner, and we saw a monastery that had the chains up on the side from which Jewish people had been hung to their death in the late 15th century, and they were still hanging there. They never had taken them down. Well, we were with Jews and Gentiles, and we all were stunned and struck dumb, and we started backing up until we finally backed up to a little kind of opening, sort of like a park, and one of our Jewish mamas sat down on the, on the ground and started throwing dust on her head. And you know what? I sat down there right beside her and started throwing dust on my head. Why? Because I'd heard that people did that. And I thought, there's got to be some way to express the horror of what we've seen. But then, there was a time, and I don't remember when this was, there was a time that I was really needing more of God, as I do all the time, and I was going to go on a three-day fast out to a state park. But I read these things in the scripture about sackcloth and ashes, and I thought, hmm, if there's anything to that, if that'll help, dadgummit, I'm going to do it. So I sneaked some ashes out of the fireplace and went by a clothing store and bought some burlap. And I went in, out to that state part and put the burlap next to my skin and, and put the ashes on my head, and I stayed that way for three days. Did it help? I don't know. But I'm just telling you, I, I, <laughs> I, I believe this stuff. <laughs> and I want to walk in it. And then the, 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 other, the next thing I've got, and I'll, I'll, I can pull this to a close pretty quick, but don't just... Don't just ask things in prayer. Listen. Prayer's a two-way. Don't just talk. And you know what? I've been, doing, I've been doing that lately just sort of spontaneously. Just I'll catch myself and think, well, I'm you know, praying a lot, but have you? And I'll, and I'll just say, is there anything in your heart, Lord? And, and some of it, most of the time, it's real good. Like he'll just say, uh, stay the course or something like that. But then... Sometimes, I mean, there was a time in the last 24 hours when he said something. I didn't like what he said. I didn't want to do what he said. But I thought, I would think this is the Lord if, if I liked it. But I don't like it. And so I'm trying to think that it's not the Lord. It's the Lord. Do it. I mean, just, I mean, but he, he communicates back with us. There was one time I was in such a good place and had to worship music going in the house by myself and all that kind of thing. And, and I said, Lord, Oh, I'm, I feel so engulfed in your love. If you've been needing to say something to me and you didn't think I could handle it, I think I can handle it now. Just So please, whatever you need to say. And he said, I love you, Don. I was blown away. That's the last thing I expected him to say. And after I wallowed in that for a while, I said, okay, Lord. Whew, I didn't know I know that needed that, but I think I can handle it now. That's all I could get him to say all day. He never said anything else but that. So anyway, did, did, communicate with him. Let him communicate back to you. And I, I could say all things like, but then one other thing that's, that's very strong is find aloneness times. If you read the life of Jesus, if you want to be intimate, you've got to get alone with the Lord. 
Jesus was continually getting up early and going out to, to be alone. There was a young man in Memphis when I lived there years ago that sat on the front row with me when I was right out of college. Later, he got in trouble and spent time in prison. And I'm, I met with him later, and I said, how did you? He went to Searcy, went to Harding, Harding College in, in Searcy. And I said, how did that happen? How did you go from here to here? He said, you know what, Don? I never would allow myself to be still, or I always had things going on around me all the time because I wouldn't let myself think of what I was doing. So we need that, that time that time alone. Uh, let, me, let me just say three other things, just uh, I won't dwell on them. One is delight in God's nature. Uh, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm, Psalm 29, the firm of choice that shows his handiwork. One, the next one is pray sometimes, pray or read out loud to yourself. I remember the first time I did that, I thought, I, you know, I was blown away to hear my own voice saying some of the things or praying for some of the things I was saying. I was getting a double dose because I was saying it and was hearing me say it. And then the last thing I've got is that if you've ever played an instrument in your life and you still have it, get it out. Put your fingers on the frets or on the keyboard and put a Bible, if you want to, on the stand and sing to the Lord songs that you will never sing before anybody else, but just worship him. There was a drummer I knew one time that was going through a depression, and I, not the one I'm living with now, Kevin. <laughs> but anyway, I kept saying to him, if you'll get through that depression, if you'll get your drums out and war in it, war with those drums. You know what? He never would do it. He just, I mean, how foolish. I'm confident he would have gotten through his depression because his drums were meant to war. And so, so let me just say, corporate worship is so good and keeps us stirred. But none of us will ever move into the fullness of what God's wanting us to do unless we get those aloneness times with him. So is there now, let me just say one last thing. Ask him right now. What would you say to me? Because I suspect if you did, if you did it, that God's going to have some correction on some people that are in the room. Because when you get quiet, he talks. Let him talk to you. Obey him. It's going to be good. Amen.